And when I think about Daniel chapter 6, you know how sometimes you remember things from, you know, many, many years ago. And somehow Daniel chapter 6, as I think about it, I believe it was a sermon on Daniel chapter 6 that as a young Christian, it was the first sermon I actually understood. Okay, I actually gained something from it. And uh, unfortunately, if I remember correctly, it was at least one year after I became a Christian that I heard for the first time a sermon that I understood. Okay, I remember writing notes. I remember uh, going back to my bunk um, when I was doing NS, lying on the bed, looking through the notes and still remembering uh, what the preacher had said about Daniel 6. Sort of tells you what sort of church I went to as a young Christian that, you know, for one whole year I didn't understand any of the sermons there. Uh, there you go. Um, but as I think back, I realized that the preacher, even though he tried his best to teach the passage, uh, I think ultimately he didn't hit the main point. I mean, he talked about a lot of things that were true, a lot of things that were helpful, but as I recall, he didn't hit the main point. So I will be trying my best uh, to make sure that doesn't happen uh, today. Uh, but my best is not enough. We need to ask God to help us. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for this very familiar story. And Father, we want to acknowledge first up that it is not just a story. Uh, it is something that we believe took place in space, time, in history, uh, something that was done by your hand to convey a truth that you want your people to be encouraged by. So Father, we ask for your help as we give our attention to this story. We pray against uh, coming with any assumption of uh, knowing this story already and, and therefore being immune to its truths. Uh, please keep our hearts soft. Keep us expectant. Keep us anticipating what you have to say to us. We pray this for good. We pray this for your glory. Amen. So the story, as uh, Daniel read it, quite straightforward. Right, so it is the reign of Darius now. And there is some, you know, dilemma about who Darius is because uh, his name doesn't really appear in any of the uh, tablets that have come down to us. Uh, there are two options. People say that's another name for Cyrus. Okay, so Cyrus is the one that we know gave the edict eventually that released the Jewish people to go back to their homeland. Uh, the other common Theory is that Darius is Cyrus's general. Okay, so Darius is here, uh, ruling the area of Babylon on Cyrus's behalf. So, I mean, whatever the case is, uh, he's the one in charge at the moment. Okay, and his plan for running this place is uh, appointing 120 satraps. Now, literally, a satrap is a protector of the kingdom. And you might have worked out that the satrap, uh, their job was collecting taxes. Okay, so making sure that uh, the right amount of taxes were collected. And then uh, Darius obviously didn't trust the satraps. That's why he appointed uh, three administrators, three presidents. And their job was to make sure the satraps, uh, whatever taxes they collected, 
found its way to the right place and they didn't, you know, pocket it themselves. So obviously Daniel was uh, very upright. You know, you could not find any corruption in him. So the people, uh, the satraps, the other administrators, they were quite fed up. They were quite frustrated because hey, there was no room to uh, line their own pockets. And so they tried to find a way to get rid of Daniel. But obviously because he was so upright, there was nothing they could do. So they realized in verse 5, they said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So they realized, okay, we got to make Daniel come into conflict. We got to make Daniel have to choose between the law of his God or the law of the land. And so immediately right at the start on the fifth verse already, the the issue is presented to us. Which law will be obeyed? Because they want to make Daniel have a choice. Is it, are you going to obey the law of your God or the law of the land? And the question is, which law will be obeyed? And so they came to Darius and they say, oh, you know, all of us, okay, all of us, we have gathered together and we think that you should make a law that no one should pray to any God, any priest, any deity, except to you, O king, okay, for the next 30 days. Now, obviously, uh, Darius must have been very flattered by this uh, because they gave him, you know, a semi-divine status. Everyone got to stop praying to their own gods and pray only to me for 30 days. All right, that sounds good. And uh, that also has the, the great benefit of unifying everyone, okay, at least for the next 30 days. And uh, if anyone doesn't do that, they will be thrown into the lion's den. Now, more accurately, it is not so much uh, a den, but rather a pit. It was an uh, underground cistern that could be used for storing water. And obviously, the king uh, pet lions in there to execute capital punishment when needed. So it was a a lion's den. That's why you can be thrown, you know, thrown down, thrown down into it. Now, what happened when Daniel heard about this edict? Well, the text tells us that Daniel had made it his habit that he would pray three times a day. And he would pray with the windows open facing Jerusalem. Now, when Daniel heard about this law, you realize that it need not have been an issue for him. right? Because it was only for 30 days. I mean, it wasn't that he could never pray to his God again. Right? He could do it discreetly. For the next 30 days, I mean, not, not, don't have to do it with the window open, uh, or you can just do it only at night. Right? Why did Daniel have to do it the same times that he did it, you know, morning, noon, night, and do it with the window open? Why did he have to do that? Because Daniel saw, and he saw clearly, that immediately a conflict was happening. He was being asked to choose between obedience to God, or obedience to the king, obedience to the state. See, at stake, Daniel saw was obedience to the first commandment. We said, you shall have no other gods before me. And so to, to obey Darius's command was to acknowledge that, that Darius was a god and that Yahweh was not ultimately 
his God. And so Daniel, you know, as a youth, uh, in chapter 1, we saw him as a 14, 15 year old. You know, when he was being forced and pressured to uh, be squeezed into the mold, at one point he drew the line. Right? He would not be squeezed fully into that mold. And then you remember that, that that set him on the right path. Right? As, a, as a young person, hard choices, such that when here as a, you know, 80-something-year-old man, you know, all those uh, pictures in children's storybooks that picture uh, a young Daniel being thrown into, uh, you know, the lion's den, uh, got it wrong. Daniel here is 80-something-years old. Who, who is in the 80s here? Okay, no one, right? Okay, yeah. So, so, I mean, Daniel, Daniel is uh, the most senior of uh, citizens among us. And because he stood firm when he was young, right, that set him uh, on the right path such that now when his life is at stake, easily he makes a decision. He will continue as he's always done, come what may. See, in his old age, he is not about to depart from allegiance to the Lord. Now, I just want to you know, take an uh, excursus here and address our more senior of uh, citizens, our more senior saints. I mean, isn't this a challenging and convicting example? I mean, that Daniel, he could easily have gone, eh, I've done the hard yards. I have, I have served faithfully, you know, as a youth, you know, I, I, I inspired three other people. We, we, we stood against the, the king's offering of luxury and preferential treatment. And all this time, I've distinguished myself as being upright. You know, I, I've been loyal to Yahweh. Now, I mean, it's almost at the end. Can't I just take a break for 30 days? I mean, Daniel could have easily reasoned like that. And in some ways, so many Christians, when they reach their twilight years, they can reason like that as well. They can think back to those times when I was younger, when I was, when I was passionate and when I, when I made sacrifices for the Lord. I've done all those things. So now I'm just going to, you know, coast. I'm just going to go on autopilot. And I think, you know, surely the example of Daniel is to say, no, don't, don't do that. Don't rest on the laurels of the past. Because what, what we need, what we, the younger generation need is to see Christians who are ahead of us in their journey still holding firm to Christ. Christians who are at that, at that end of their life, I mean, you of all people, let me try and put this politely, um, you of all people, you are closer to seeing Jesus. Right? You, you, you know that it is only a matter of, of, of years, if not months before you reach the end when you, when you see Jesus face to face. Surely it makes sense then. That all the trinkets, all the, the treasures of this world mean nothing compared to that. So it doesn't make sense when Christians enter retirement phase and they start gathering up, you know, a second home or holiday house or, 
or a boat or you know, buying this and that. I mean, why? When you're so close to the end already, even more, you should be giving things away because you know, I only have so little time left here that it makes sense. Right? I'm reaching the, 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 the finish line. That, what happens then, is what counts. We need our senior saints to stand like that and be an example to the rest of us. So, Daniel, he didn't just look back on what he has done. Uh, He's still faithful. He is holding firm to his God. And so when the accusers, in verse 11, when when they find Daniel with the open window praying, uh, they... They get the evidence and they bring it, right? Now, one, uh, one commentator asked the question, now, why, why didn't God close the eyes of the accusers like he would close the mouths of the lions? Such that when the accusers, you know, go looking for evidence against Daniel, you know, their eyes will be closed. They will not be able to find him, uh, flouting the edict, right? He could close the mouth of the lions, why couldn't he close the eyes? And obviously the answer is because God, God's purpose is not to deliver Daniel from the trial. God's purpose is not to deliver Daniel from facing the trial. But God's purpose, as it's made clear again and again in the Bible, is to deliver Daniel through the trial. That Daniel has to go through the trial and God's purposes being effected, coming into pass because of the trial. And so they, they go to the king and, you know, they don't tell him about Daniel yet. First they, they confirm, hey, king, didn't you publish this law? And, you know, didn't you say this is this? And the king said, yes, 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 I did, I did. And yeah, what a, what a good law, what a good idea it was. Then only then, that uh, the accusers say, well, in verse 13, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah. You see, you see the way they address Daniel? They don't even say, Daniel, the chief administrator. You know, address him with the, the honor and the title that he deserves. But instead, they say, Daniel, that foreign slave. See, he's flouted your rule, flouted your law. You know, he doesn't honor you. Now remember, King, that what you have put into, into law, it cannot be changed. And uh, the king, because he, he valued Daniel, he saw this, okay, oh man, it's a trap. So he tried his best until sound, sundown to try and save Daniel. Okay, he had until sundown because the, the practice in uh, the Medo-Persian Empire is that whatever a sentence that has to be carried out must be done by sundown. Okay? So the, the king, he knew he only had this time and he probably called in his best lawyers, you know, try and find some loophole to try and save Daniel. But, of course, there was no loophole. And here you see, I mean, you must see the irony here. I mean, Darius, when he signed that law into, uh, you know, or that, that, only he were to be prayed to. I mean, effectively, he was giving himself 
semi-divine status that everyone had to pray to him. But the irony is by signing that law, it made him powerless to do what he really wanted to do. See, what, praying to someone who actually has no power to save you. And the irony is uh, for Daniel, the accusers, when they find Daniel praying, they think, ha we got him. We, 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 we found Daniel's weakness. Because Daniel had committed to pray to his God. They thought they found his weakness, but actually when they find him on his knees praying to God, that was Daniel at his strongest. Because he was praying to the God who had the power to save him. So the powerless king has to give the order and throws Daniel into the lion's pit. And then in verse 16, the king says to Daniel, somewhat like a prayer, right? May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Yes, everyone's supposed to pray to me, but I got no power to save you. But but your God, the one that you have been praying to, may he rescue you. And so a stone was brought, placed over the mouth of the pit, and uh, the king seals it with his ring. And the whole point is that no human intervention is allowed to disrupt Daniel's situation. And the king goes back to his palace and he's, uh, you know, he's fitful, he can't sleep, you know, he tells the, the musicians and the dancing girls to go away, uh, he won't eat, he, 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 he can't sleep properly. He's concerned about Daniel. And at the first light of dawn, he hurries down and see, he must have had some inkling that Daniel's God was powerful. Because if, if he had no hope of Daniel's God rescuing Daniel, then he wouldn't at that early light rush down to see if Daniel could be saved. And so he goes crying out, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, has he been able to rescue you? So, so, so the king cries out with an anguished voice, Daniel, Daniel, are you alright? Has your God rescued you? And then Daniel answers, you know, probably in uh, a most serene and tranquil voice because he, unlike the king, must have had a good sleep. You know, cuddling with the, in the, in the warmness of the lion's mane. Oh, may the king live forever. My God, send his angel. And he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me. Why? Because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. So see, this is Daniel's reasoning. Because he was faithful. He didn't do anything blameworthy before God. He has always honored the king that God put above him. And so that's why God has delivered him. And so the king, you know, exchanges Daniel, takes him out of the pit and throws the accusers in. Uh, Throws the accusers uh, the wives and the children in. Uh, because that was the law of the land. That not only were the guilty parties to be punished, uh, but their whole families as well. So that was uh, the Middle Persian practice. And uh, you see, it wasn't because the lions were 
were trying to lose weight and so they were fasting, you know, so they didn't eat Daniel. Once the accusers were thrown in, straight away they jumped and devoured them, which meant that the lions, I mean, they were really uh, acting like lions, right? They were, they were hungry. And so after all this, then uh, Darius wrote a decree to all the nations and peoples of every language. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. I mean, this is what God leads Darius to do. I mean, witnessing the whole thing, Darius responds in this way. He puts it into a decree, but you, you recognize obviously that a decree can neither force people to their knees to worship God, nor can it crush the true worship of God. But this is what Darius does anyway. He says, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. I mean, this is the theme that has been reverberating throughout the whole of Daniel as we have come to see. And in what way is he the living God? In what way does this kingdom endure forever? Well, the acts of the living God in verse 27 is that he rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the... And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, the reign of Cyrus the Persian. You see, what was Daniel's purpose in writing chapter 6? What was his purpose uh, as he wrote it with the audience in mind? Right, the people of God were still in exile. And so in, in, in writing to them this story, I mean, clearly Daniel is trying to encourage those in exile. Okay, yes, you, you are still in exile, but keep trusting. Yes, it has been 70 years. Yes, it seems like God is not going to deliver. Yes, it, you know, you've made a comfortable home here. Yes, it, it makes sense to, to go with the flow. You know, conform with the practices and values. Yes, it makes sense, but, but keep trusting God. Keep being faithful to Him. When, when the law of God and when the law of the land collide, keep trusting God. Keep being faithful to Him. Obey God and not man. When there is a conflict, keep trusting Him. See, that I think is uh, the main message of Daniel 6. And, 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 and for us, right, you recognize that we are aliens and strangers. I mean, like the people of God in Daniel's time, we are in exile. We have not reached our promised land. We are not home yet. We are citizens of kingdom and we are still looking forward to the time when we are fully home. So we are in exile and there will be, at times, that conflict between obeying the law of God and obeying the law of the land. Right? When that conflict happens, what will you do? You know, the apostles, when they were commanded by the authorities not to preach Jesus crucified as the Messiah. Right? They said in Acts chapter 5, no, 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 we must obey God rather than man. When the Roman Empire gave permission for infants 
to be discarded. You know, infants that were found to be, you know, disabled or not good looking. You know, Roman Empire gave permission. Yeah, yeah, you can just discard it into the rubbish heap. The early Christians were found rubbish heap rescuing those babies. When the Nazis put into law to exterminate Jews and gypsies and those mentally disabled, there were Christians who opposed the law and tried their best uh, to defeat that law coming into effect. And if you uh, watch news or you read the newspapers, you know that a, a not very attractive looking, not very fashionably dressed Christian lady is standing up for the law of God. She's a county clerk in uh, Kentucky and she's supposed to issue marriage licenses. And so because of the Supreme Court ruling, uh, she's now obligated to issue marriage licenses to uh, same-sex couples. But she refuses. And because she refuses, she has been thrown into jail. Now, I mean, I don't understand American politics fully. Okay, obviously. I mean, Singapore politics, I also don't understand fully already. What, what, what more American politics, right? But, see, but American politics allows for people, because of uh, religious sensitivity, to not perform a particular function if it can be accommodated by the employer. So, you know, you have uh, Muslim uh, air stewardess who is exempted from serving alcohol, right, because it goes against her, her uh, Islamic conscience. So there is, you know, such practices in place, but when it comes to this Christian county clerk, because it goes against her religious conscience to have her name on the marriage license, certifying the marriage of a same-sex couple, she is thrown into jail. Now, there are, unfortunately, some Christians in America who, who, who uh, you know, express their opinion. I mean, if she can't do this job, then she should just resign, right? But they fail to see that Kim Davis is simply um, standing for the law of her God when he has come into conflict with the law of the land. So we must trust God to deliver. Because we are not home yet. We are still in exile. But when we come to Daniel 6, we mustn't get an unrealistic picture of the picture of persecution and trial because for every one Daniel that is delivered from the lion's pit, there are hundreds, hundreds of martyrs who go metaphorically into the lion's pit and seemingly face their end there. So Tan Yang was praying for our brothers and sisters around the world and he was looking at Barnabas Fund the update. And last night I was also looking just at the email that gets sent to me and the, the headlines, you know, IS, Islamic State, intent on destroying the church. In Ethiopia, young Christians arrested 
because they were doing evangelism. Church leaders in prison because they complained about the persecution. In India, police and Hindu extremists attacking Christians because they were visiting uh, an elderly believer. See, we mustn't get an unrealistic picture from Daniel chapter 6 because God's purpose is not always to deliver from the trial, but His purpose is to refine and mature and achieve uh, what He uh, is intent on doing for each of His people through the trials. And it is His purpose that will be accomplished. And we need to see that Daniel 6 points ahead to the ultimate verdict that is given to all believers on Judgment Day. You see, why was uh, Daniel delivered from the, the lion's mouth? He says it's because I was found innocent in God's sight. You see, he was, uh, he endured the lion's den. He was safely delivered because God found him blameless. And those accusers who didn't believe in Daniel's God were found guilty and they were thrown into the lion's den and the lions who were acting as God's instruments of judgment executed God's judgment. You see, this shows us how Jesus Christ has fulfilled Daniel chapter 6. Because like Daniel Jesus was also falsely accused by his enemies and he was brought before a pagan ruler who tried his best to release but couldn't deliver Jesus and in the end had to sentence him to a violent death. And like Daniel, Jesus was also thrown into the pit, pit that was sealed with a large stone. But the trial that Jesus went through was far deeper, more reaching than Daniel. Because Daniel only suffered the threat of death. Whereas Jesus entered fully into the very depths of death itself. And even though he was innocent, he suffered the fate of the guilty ones. And in the lion's pit, Daniel had the the presence of God's angel to be with him, to give him comfort. But Jesus was left alone. When he, go th- when he went through that trial, he was utterly forsaken by God. And he was utterly forsaken because he was bearing the punishment, he was bearing the judgment that we deserved. And so Jesus bore it so that we could go free. Now, Like Daniel, Jesus was also innocent. But more than just innocent, uh, you know, before the king and before God, Jesus was completely sinless. And so that's why that judgment, that death had no hold on him. And so like Daniel, he emerged from the pit when the stone was removed. But unlike Daniel, who came out alone, When Jesus emerged from that pit, because he has been risen to new life, he is able to bring with him, out of that pit of death, 
all who trust in Him. Because all who trust in Him will be given that verdict now. That verdict, we don't need to hear on Judgment Day what that verdict will be. Those who trust in Jesus now, like Daniel, will hear that verdict of being innocent, of being righteous in God's eyes. Not because we've earned it, but because the innocent one, Jesus Christ, has gone to the pit of death for us, taking our sin, and His righteousness has been conferred onto us, so that when God sees us, He sees the righteousness of His innocent Son. And so that is our hope, that is our comfort, because because we know the verdict, we know that we will reach home, that our citizenship in heaven is secure. We will get there. And that, I think, gives us the strength, gives us the fortitude. When the laws collide now, because of what Christ has done, the hope and the comfort we have from what He has achieved, the verdict that has been brought forward from that judgment day, to now, we can depend on God's strength to say no. We must obey God rather than man. And I want to say, if we truly believe, even at times when we are weak and we end up obeying man rather than God, it is not our performance, it is not our obedience that saves us. It is, it is Christ, it is Christ, it is Christ that saves us. So put your hope in Him, for He is able to save. May God help us to trust Him.